Blog Talk Radio. to be seen in green. What it do, ladies and gentlemen? It is October 22nd, 2020. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning. It all just depends on what part of the world you are listening. Welcome, welcome. Namaste. Welcome to another episode of the Greenhouse Effect Radio Show. I am one half of your host, uh, Will Green. <laughs> I almost forgot my name for a second. <laughs> uh, one half of your hosting party, uh, Will Green is my name. Welcome. Episode number 15 
Greenhouse Effect Radio Show, this new third season in 2020. Episode 15, what now, now what? Yeah, I thought that some people would get a kick out of that if you uh, had a chance to listen to us in the early part of the season. Um, we had some very, very good conversations, as we always do every Thursday here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, so, yeah, what now, now what? I think that was an appropriate, I think that is an appropriate time to title this episode. Um, yeah, so we'll be getting into that shortly. But before we get into uh, tonight's episode here, uh, like we always want to do, we always like to remind everyone a few things before we get going. Uh, number one, grab a pen and pad, pencil and paper, a market post-it note, whatever you got. Uh, whatever works for you. Uh, you know, we like to offer adult dialogue here on the Greenhouse Effect Radio Show. We know that many people have questions, comments, um, but you might learn some things as well. But if you do have questions, comments, you might want to chime in. You know, here we use a hashtag, a thousand words will do. So if you ever see that, hashtag thousand words will do, and we invite you to use it as well. Um, sometimes we use a thousand words. Uh, instead of 100, um, and it's um, just what we do here. You know, I'm not making any apologies about it, but we want to make sure that you don't lose your train of thought, that you are able to share your viewpoints and questions and things like that um, with us and with the audience as well. So for any questions you may have, write it down. For anything you may learn, write it down. For any comments you got, write it down. Um you know, so definitely grab that pen and pad, pencil and paper, mark it, and post it out. Uh, number two, the other reminder, uh, the chat room is open if you're listening online. And you can access the chat room with your free Blog Talk Radio account. Um, or you can call in directly on your phone at area code 516-453-6094. And you can press 1 which will let me know that you'd like to chime in and share the power of your effect. <laughs> um, so those are a couple of reminders we like to let everybody know ahead of time. I understand that the debate is on tonight. Ooh. <laughs> I got a, a message earlier uh, from a, a longtime listener of the Greenhouse Effect show here radio show, and uh, they sent me a message like, hey, the debate's on tonight. Are you still going to do your show? <laughs> you ever, and I'm sure we all do. You get those messages and you see those things on social media. And you, you get those initial responses, you know, where uh, the things you can't say <laughs> to other people. <laughs> Are you still going to do the show tonight? Hell yeah, I'm going to do my show tonight. What are you talking about? I mean, the debate is on. Let me do it again. Ooh. So, you know, I'm not really sure what else we might be looking for when it comes to um, the spectacles that we are witnessing right now in, in, um, in our government and when it comes to these debates. I mean, the first one should have just told you everything. Um, but I mean, that's kind of how we are, though. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to 
get too much on my on my soapbox tonight. I might here and there, but I mean we kind of already know what to expect with with what's going on, or what to expect with with the current president, or what to expect with um, the VP running against him, you know, uh, with with Biden running against Trump. Let me clear that up. Um, it's always amazing how. Um, and I can't speak for all people of color. I can only speak um, as a black American. And it's, it's, it's amazing sometimes how we uh, allow our emotions to kind of supersede, if you will, our logic. Is that the right word? I'm not sure if that's the right word. Um, I can't believe he's doing that. Oh, I can't believe he says that. I can't believe he responded that way. And I'm sure there's going to be people tonight that's going to be talking about it. Well, I just can't. I, I'm going to drink. <laughs> I enjoy a good libation like the rest of us, but I'm not going to use um, this president, this dude in office right now, to give reasons for me to be drinking. <laughs> if I'm going to drink, I'm just going to want to drink. Because I already know what to expect. But I'm sure, you know, a lot of people want to watch it tonight, and that's cool. You know, but, uh, you know, I say all that just to say, you're damn right, we're going to do a show tonight. And I hope that more people will listen to the show tonight to get away from that debate, you know, and to kind of clear their senses and and to, you know, help you mentally, if you will. I know I need it. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I talk a lot about balance and wellness and spiritual, you know, spiritual, mental, physical wellness and things like that. But, you know, I, I'm be hurting just, I, I'm hurting just like the rest of you all, you know. Um, and every day I'm trying to figure out how I can make things better for myself and my family and things like that. But I'm definitely not going to get sucked into that vortex of dealing with uh, <laughs> the debate tonight. So I guess you could say I'm a little woke. Uh I know we've been waiting for the last two weeks. I say we, I mean, me and my dad, Bill Green, who's coming in. I'm bringing him in in the second here. And we've been asking this question. We're asking y'all, what does it mean to be woke? You know, maybe that's a, a third reminder we can put on there. You know, maybe we can think about what does it mean to be woke? Because I don't think we even really knows what that, know what that means anymore. But anyway, um, uh, that's enough on the debate. Um, so, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> You know, early voting is going on. A lot of people are getting out there. Everybody's putting up pictures of their I voted notes and buttons and everything, which is cool. It's good to see you all out there uh, voting uh, and trying to make a change for the better um, overall. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big tree that has to be chopped down, and voting is important, and that's what needs to be done. Uh, it's more than just the presidency that state. It's a lot of judges. Lawmakers, uh, influencers, enforcers, people that we need to move out of those seats, um, you know. So if people tell you that voting doesn't make a difference, then you need to really consider who you're associating yourself with, and actually, what, what where are they meant to? Where, where are they? Um, but anyway, let me get off that box here. <laughs> let me stop right there. 
Uh, I don't have COVID numbers for you tonight. Um, um, I, I really just didn't want to bring it up. I mean, because, you know, we've been reading about it in the, in the, in the news. Um, we know that according to what they're telling us, the numbers are going up. Um, so, again, we have to prepare. Whether they're going up or not, whether you believe it or not, people are still getting sick. People are still dying. So it will behoove you to wear a mask, at least for the betterment of everybody else. Again, these are changes that are happening, and we have to adapt to these changes. We've been talking about this for a minute. I'm not going to get into these numbers tonight and things like that. I just kind of want to get into the nitty-gritty of of our subject matter tonight. So uh, last week was the... 25th anniversary of the Million Man March, October 16, 1995, uh, where we um, made a stand in D.C., in the nation's capital, and showed that black people can form uh, unity and and make a movement in solidarity for a purpose. Um, and I had the opportunity to share my experience last week. I was <laughs> I was blessed and lucky to find, well, there's no such thing as blessed and lucky, but I was blessed to find my journal to share it with you all last week. Um, so if you didn't have a chance to hear last week's show, please check it out. And I may even uh, get into a little bit of that um, tonight, um, anticipating some people calling in to share their experience as well from the Million Man March um, in 1995. Uh, we've invited Dr. Jeffrey Oakbar, Oak, like Obama Obar, Oakbar, Oakbar. I'm gonna get it straight before he comes in because I don't see him on the phone lines yet. <laughs> Oakbar, um, and he uh, will come in tonight uh, to talk about some of his experiences. And I've invited others. Hopefully, they will come in as well to talk about their experience from the Million Man March. Um, of course, the phone lines are open for you all that are listening now, or the chat room is open as well if you want to say some things in the chat room. Um, but I, I, I did want to uh, pose a question uh, as far as just what was the motivation for those people that do chime in and share their experiences. What was your motivation to attend the Million Man March? And even if you didn't attend it and, you know, looking at um, movements and things like that in American history from the uh, March of Washington in 63 to the Million Man March in 95, and here we are in 2020. I'm wondering, um, how can I put this? Um, you know, our momentum as 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 people of color, as the oppressed, um, as the term we don't like to use, the minority. But as a minority, you know, um, how do we keep this momentum going and continue to make change? Um, for the better of everybody. So um, that may not have come across <laughs> exactly how I wanted to say it. But basically, you know, using that momentum, using that energy in today's time to make some changes as well. So um, do you feel like we can use that or what has to change? What can we do to make these things happen and stuff like that? So, um, Yeah. So, you know, like I said earlier, um, 
I'm not without my own share of, of difficulties and obstacles and issues to deal with. So tonight's show will be quite interesting as well. So without further ado, I would like to uh, bring in our co-host, um, my best friend, my dad, Bill Green. Come on in. And, um, good evening, Daddy-O. How's it going tonight? Hey, man, I, Alfredo, I hope you can hear me because we didn't do a mic check. So I don't know if yeah, I'm you're good. mic check. You're good. <laughs> you're good. All mic right. check, one, two, one, yeah. two. You're all good. One, two, one, two. Alfredo, my man. You sounded good, man. I was, I was a little I'm worried trying. about you. I ain't going to put you on blast, but I was a little worried about you. <laughs> you know, and um, I feel you. I don't know if, um, you know, if if um, if we're competing with the debate or if the debate is competing with us. But it, to me, it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, whoever yeah. Whoever's going to be here is going to be here. Whoever isn't, isn't. But, you know, I'm only – I'm only um, really most cranked about two people being here, you know, and that's you and me. <laughs> so, you know, like um, even if even if we spend two hours just bantering about between each other, hey, man, you know, the one thing that I've come to realize about myself, it doesn't take me much to feel better about myself as long as I'm willing to talk about myself, you know, so I don't need – you know, the number doesn't matter that I'm talking to, you know, uh, as long as I'm talking, you know, putting words to my feelings, especially when my feelings aren't where I want my feelings to be. One thing I know, as soon as I start dialoguing about my feelings, I'm going to feel better. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be healed. You know, that doesn't mean I even feel great, but it does mean I'll feel better than before I started talking. I don't know how that works for everybody or anybody else, but I I found in over 35 years of counseling, the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to talk about what they're feeling. And after that, the hardest thing to do once they get talking about their feeling is to shut them up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, it's it's just really a a matter of of in my mind you know, and through my counseling experiences, the hardest thing is for a person just to legitimize how they're feeling. And that can't be done without talking about it. You know, that's the legitimization of where a person is. If if I'm not talking about it, my feelings don't exist. As soon as I start talking about it, and talking is relative. It could be writing. It could be any form of communication. But as soon as I see signing, whatever it is, and so, as a matter of fact, even if I'm talking about how I'm feeling to somebody who doesn't speak my language, doesn't matter. You know, um, that's the legitimization of my feelings. That's what makes them visible. That's because that's what makes me visible. Until I'm telling you how I'm feeling, I haven't shown up. You know. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there, man. So, you know, you're sounding good, my man. You know, um, sounding real good. I, you know, I, I always know one thing about you, no matter how you may think you feel. I know once you crank yourself up, all that's going to fall away and your adrenaline's going to take over, man. So, man, I'm I'm glad you showed up because I sure would have hated talking into empty space, but I would have been talking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag a thousand words. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag. <laughs> you know, a couple things right quick, and then we can, you know, wherever wherever we go. 
Um, over 8 million people have been infected by coronavirus and over 200,000, over 230,000 have died. And these numbers haven't stopped. You know, they're yeah. continuing to crest, you know, or in, the, in, the, in, in, in regards to death, they're continuing to um, accelerate. Anyway, um, the other thing, you know, um, you know how I feel about um, the word minority. And I know sometimes yeah. it's a short it's a shortcut to, you know, um, the overall expression. But I tell you, with me, it's um, as black people of color and not minority. You know, I mean, and I would love it if if news outlets would take that up. You know, um, to just differentiate, just to identify, and and just to give some degree of of individuation to the issue of the races. I would love it if the media said, in regards to black people of color, you know, that gives a reference point. And now, let's, and now we can go from there. But when, when I give the, you know, abbreviation of, of what I'm talking about, then it's not going to get anything more than, a, than an av- abbreviated response or an abbreviated interpretation. So if somebody in America can just lump every person of color into minority, and for that matter, saying minority, but not really meaning to include like indigenous people or Asian Americans and Asian Americans and so forth. Then the question is, well, who exactly, you know, are we talking about? You know, America is, is, is consumed with color. You know, we're all, we're, we're like um, almost obsessive compulsive, but definitely in, in, in some ways, you know, um, paranoid. When it comes to issues of color, we don't, as as a country, that's what I mean by we, you know, a country doesn't even know how to just be open, you know, to its own ignorance. So, you know, go ahead and be ignorant. I'm not you, you know, anybody. Just mm-hmm. at, uh, America, just go ahead and be ignorant to what you don't know about instead of talking like you do know. You know, because that's what you're doing anytime you try to avoid controversy. You're trying to talk like controversy doesn't exist. So if you if you mean black people, say black people. Don't think you're making it easier by saying minority. You know, if you mean Asian Americans, say Asian Americans. But whoever it is, say who you mean, you know, and mean what you say. You know, and I love how you redefine tonight's, you know, theme. You know, what now? Now what? I mean, there's, there's not a better time to be saying that than what's going on in this country right now. It's like, right now. Right now. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. You know, right on, yeah. man. I, 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 I cracked up when I, when I read your, um, your overview. Because <laughs> that caught me off guard. I thought, you know, uh, you know, I thought you gave me the impression that you were in low energy creatively. And then I read your blurb, and I thought, my, my man's on fire. <laughs> what now? Oh, right <laughs> on, man. That's, that's I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a little low as far as what, what you're feeling. You're right about that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that, you, that you're digging that. And I figured, you know, uh, like I said, I got that message, like, oh, the debate's on. And that's kind of what sparked me to title the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, so damn what? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and, and I don't know who it was, and I don't want to know. All I do yeah, know, yeah. well, I can't say I do know, but I'm, 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 I'm saying I believe. So I might as well say what I do know, 
is that that bait, the bait ain't got nothing to do with anybody to be calling in on this show. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> just come on. <laughs> you know, I come on, man. You know, but anyway, you know, which um, brings me to one other point I just wanted to make right quick um, in regards to the debate. You know, um, Biden or Trump or Pence, no, man, I could care less uh, about any of that. Um, what I'm talking about is, you know, this this is a renewed opportunity uh, to affect the history of white male values, you know, um, by having um, Kamala Harris on the ticket, you know. Um, and I, I think that's a point being really missed by so many. You know, there, there's an opportunity here to renew an interest in, in redefining uh, white male values as it relates to politics. Because, see, all we've had, you know, up to this point, all we've had, you know, in the higher office of the land is a reflection of, you know, male perspectives, whether white or now black. You know, and, and it's time we transcend that. You know, as a country, it's time that we put it to the ultimate test. It's time that we start looking at, okay, what is the most extreme expression that can be made that would be a counter argument to, you know, this thing that keeps being thrown in black people's faces, you know, when it comes to politics, the founding fathers, you know, uh, well, I can't say, I'll just say, forget I can't say what I want to say. Forget the founding fathers. You know, they did not have anybody's interest but white males. So the idea of having the opportunity to bring a a female and a female of colors, you know, into the higher office, you know, immediately, you know, as Obama did, it continues to redefine that whole perspective of founding fathers. You know, it's time America grows up, you know, and it's time that America comes to grips with the fact that we only reflect back on, or when I hear people reflect back on founding fathers, for me as a black man, you know, I feel like what they're telling me is they're wanting to put me back in my place, you know, because founding fathers only had three-fifths of me in mind. So it's an insult to me in this democratic, so-called democratic society of ours to throw this founding father's bullcrap in my face to justify invisibilizing me in the first place. So that's all. I just wanted to sneak that in, you know, especially yeah. if um, if Doc comes in and, and once y'all get cranked up, you know, if folks probably won't hear from me anymore tonight. <laughs> so I'm trying to get as much of my stuff in now as I can. <laughs> you know? uh, I um, think you'll be okay. But I thought it would be yeah, good. Well, I'll be okay. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, though, know, when you're talking about renewing and redefining uh, white male views. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I kind of see a problem with that though because now you're talking about with the founding fathers and renewing or redefining American history and you know we've talked many times about looking at American history and the and you know and how slavery is um, the major part of American history and how they 
still deny, if you will, you know, slavery in so many words deny. Um, you know, that's when I, when they say get over it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. You know, not, ex- not accepting it as a part of them. You know, we, we talked about that in the, in the quandrum, if you will, of, of trying to redefine American history, but that means them admitting the, you know, the effect of slavery and, yeah. and what that really means as far as the American history is concerned. Am I making sense? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard like, to see, man. That? You know, there's only one person you need to be concerned about if you're making sense to it, not, and that's you. Yeah. You know, but you are to be for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I'm sure that any others of the hundreds and thousands of our listening audience, you know, making sense. Yeah, you're making sense, but it doesn't mean that people have to agree with you. You know, I mean, as a matter of fact, that's, you know, if I would hope that I'm making sense. So if we're going to debate, you know, at least we know what we're debating about, you know, so if you don't agree with me, don't agree with me because you understand what I'm saying, you know, but don't agree with me because you don't understand what I'm saying. We don't stand a chance then. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm following you. I'm making sense to me, man. Yeah. Debate. And if, Debate. You, if you I know, didn't agree with you, you know, I'd say so. You know. <laughs> yeah, I know you will. <laughs> yeah, but man. you know, you debate. Know. You know, and that's and that's the whole thing. You know, debating it. I'm like, you know, that's okay. what we want to call tonight's show with these cats is a debate. It's not a debate. It's you get more more intellectual discussion from reality shows than you do from this current debate that's going on between these two guys. You know what I mean? Check it, check and it you know out. how we I feel about know. reality yeah. shows. Man. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, and, you know. And, and, of course, the great advantage that Trump has is in that related field of reality shows, you know. Let's have reality mm-hmm. show, not reality. You know, and, yeah. And that's where he excels. The The imagined is what he, you know, what 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 I believe turns so many people on. You know, he can speak and imagine truth, and people can turn it into a reality. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and never put him on the spot as a result. You know, he he's appealing to the ignorance of American society. I believe. You know, I I don't know. You know, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. I took you off your stride. No, 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 no. You didn't. I was just 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 laughing at that term debate as far as what's going on tonight. Just, you know, again, very interesting. Uh, the things that we look at, and, and like I said, I'm expecting people to be like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Oh, this is just, you know, it's like how many times are we going to keep falling for the banana in the tailpipe, you know, and like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Oh, I can't believe that happened. You know, and they keep doing the same things over and over again. But that's, that's how we get down, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I like that. You know, how many times are we going to keep falling for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, your cousin Ray tells a story about, you know, um, these um, trappers in Africa who learned if they hollowed out a, a coconut and put a little hole in it and um, placed a banana in it, you know, it was a sure way to capture monkeys. Because they would come along, they would see the banana, and they would reach their hand in, grab the banana, and they would see the hunters coming. But they were so fixed on that banana, and they couldn't get it out the hole, and they would just keep pulling and pulling and pulling, but they were so fixed on getting the banana that they didn't realize they were about to get done in, you know, and all they had to do was just let go of the banana, you know. But 
You know, it's it's what happens when there's no collective consciousness where the other monkeys could say, hey, let go of the banana. <laughs> anyway, that's not, uh, uh, <laughs> and so that's the okie doke we fall for, man. Nobody's around yeah. to tell us, hey, let go of the banana. You know, no, instead we're going to say, hey, man, you know you're competing with the debate. You know, you still going to have your show? Hey, let go of the damn banana. <laughs> you know, damn. <laughs> Tune in, dude. No, I, you know. I need that banana. It's who I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's who I am. <laughs> I need my pain. It's who I am. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Go, go figure. No, man. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, man. You know, so I'm, I'm, I am, man. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to your cuz, man, coming in tonight. You know, just so I could hear, so I could, so I'm being real selfish, so I could hear the both of you just reminisce and reflect. I mean, one of you 25, the other 23. You know, on the mar, you know, the Million Man March. You know, I mean. If you two hadn't shown up, it would have been nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight, man. So you two showing up made it up, man. <laughs> two young brothers on top of it, man. Right on. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's funny. That's yeah. funny. And that's you know that's too long to say, you know, nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand. So they would have said the minority march. <laughs> well, yep, there it is. Yeah. All right. I'm enough of my silly bantering. I want to just okay. Here I go again. One more thing. I just want to kick it out there right quick while I got your attention. Um, it was something you talked about a few weeks ago. Um, you brought up the subject of uh, Mars being in retrograde, and uh, we didn't really have a follow up, and we really didn't go into more in depth, you know, because about that, you know, about a, a planet being in retrograde, because most people, you know, who are even interested in, you know, um, conventional um, astrology tend to only, you know, think in terms of, you know, what did my sign say today? You know, just what they read in, in the paper about this sign or look it up in, in the Internet. But uh, Mars being in retrograde, you know, has has some, I think, you know, has some detailed, uh, and first of all, Mars is in retrograde, and it won't be pulling out until around the, the end of the year. So, uh, okay. you know, there's, okay. there's, a, there's a lot to consider there. Now, retrograde in itself, you know, uh, means to be moving or recurring or performing even in a backward direction or in opposite of the normal or forward direction of one's own flow. So let's take you for an example, just, you know, hypothetically, of course, not, you know, meaning you personally. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know, whatever whatever you feel your flow is, whatever you feel your chi is, whatever you feel, you know, your direction is, think of what the opposite would feel like. And chances are you will find some explanation as to, what you're feeling if it's not how you want to feel, especially when it comes to creative energy. Why would I say creative energy? Well, Mars, you know, um, is the planet of energy, action, and sexual desire. Now, a lot of people would say, hey, man, you got it backwards. It should be sexual desire, energy, and action. (laughs) Well, you know, the order doesn't matter. The point is, you know, we're talking about, in retrograde, you know, um, having your energy, your action, and even your, you know, your sexual energy, which is creative energy, which is emotional energy, 
and you know it's also sexual you know so it's mm-hmm. three phases to sexual energy not one well you know um in retrograde means there's going to be a push pull it means it's going to be a a pulling back you know um a working against the flow of what you ordinarily feel and if we don't keep that in mind um just as a just as a reflection you know, and maybe even as an understanding or even an explanation. We don't keep it in mind if it's something that we even buy into or believe is possible. Then, you know, we're going to kind of stay in a place of flux of not knowing what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean because you know it that that's going to fix it. No, instead, by knowing it means it explains it. Oh, okay, so... I'm going against my own flow right now. So I don't need to be too quick to overreact to maybe feeling negative or maybe not, maybe being creatively lazy, you know, um, or not feeling motivated to do X, Y, Z. Instead, I need to understand that the flow is working against the current. So like the trout, right, swimming upstream, I'm going to have to push a little harder. But yeah. pushing a little harder with understanding and not with negativity. And I think that's what causes so many to go into burnout because we start beating ourselves up for, for not understanding why, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, but instead telling myself I got no right to feel that way. Well, you know, I don't know about you, bro, but the universe is a tad bigger than me. So if the universe is pulling one way, I think I'm going to have to kind of crank it up a little bit, you know, to try to, you know, push against that. You know, now, you know, of course there's people going to argue about the stars and all that, you know. It ain't got nothing to do in my mind about being anti-God. You know, God created everything. This is me talking about my beliefs, you know, and so that includes the planets, the stars, the universe, and me. So if if God gives me just a little toolbox that includes some understanding of just the nine planets in my solar system, forget all the billions of other planets that exist, right? Just these few nine. And if it's a sign to me believing that God created me and believing that God created me with an explicit purpose, that means my birthday helps me to understand what tools I have available to use at the appropriate time. So if I'm trying to forge steel, it may be a good time to use a hammer, but if I'm trying to smooth glass, a hammer might not work too well. <laughs> you know? No, I don't think that'll work now. <laughs> yeah, so 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 my astrology toolbox gives me as an Aries some things to work with in particular times. And you being a Scorpio, I think you might want to just consider Mars is the ruler of Aries, a fire sign. And in traditional astrology, Mars also rules Scorpio, you know, water sign. Mars is how we express our anger, drive, and self-assertion, representing our first instinct to act. So now if you're a Scorpio operating in Mars retrograde, your first instinct to act may be the one you need to consider before you act. Like, okay, I'm not feeling this right now. Maybe I'll just cancel the show. Ah, no, maybe I'm the trout caught in a, a reverse current. 
So maybe I need to use all the resources available to me to push this on through. You know, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there, man. So, you know, just keep in mind that you're going to be swimming against the current until January. <laughs> and we'll see. We'll see, you know. You know, we'll see what, you know, we'll we'll take a look at now what in January. But right now you're dealing with what now. <laughs> yeah, right on. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. We we I think we even uh talked about uh the beginning of Mars retrograde a few weeks back. Um and and I recall yeah. that and I'm yeah. glad that you mentioned that. That kinda helps uh alleviate some anxiety and some issues I was having before the show. Because um, I kinda forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um that, that things are uh kind of kind of slower if you will yeah. like like your patience patience is being tested more uh reaction times are slower i can't exactly remember i'm going to go back and and uh, check that out and share it on uh social media pages again but i'm and it feels like like you say the trout going in reverse current you know just things are just a little slower just the 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 wind is just going against you quite a bit and so it's just a little takes a little longer uh, to get to the goal I guess um, but I'm, I'm glad the you objective, the uh, goal the intention whatever you know whatever yeah, yeah. however it is a person wants to express purpose you know at a given mm-hmm. any given time you know and and, yeah. and we're always in a forward motion that's our chronological and biological clock it's always moving forward so, you know, we're always in that transitional period, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Everything is in transition. So it's, to me, important to recognize whether I'm feeling the shift or the change or the current or the flow or not doesn't matter. The point is, it's changing anyway. So I can either be a victim of it or I can be a player in it. You know, and and that vacillates. Sometimes I am, I do become the victim. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes in recognizing I become the victim, I then can become an active player. But you know, neutrality, you know, is only going to bring you know uh, neutral results. You know, no no ebb, no flow, just still water. You know, and um, things die in still water. You know, so anyway, yeah. you know, just keep in mind, yeah. you know, um, uh, Mars is how we express our anger, our drive, and our self-assertion, representing our first instinct to act. So depending on, you know, where the and, – and Mars is very visible right now, you know, so its pull is very strong. So, you know, it, it, again, you know, that's just – I'm just one who believes that, you know, um, this is just another tool that God provided. It doesn't mean it takes precedence over, you know, the God of my creation. Quite the opposite. It's like, oh, okay, I have one other thing then that I can pray to the Lord for to help relieve whatever it is I'm going through because now I understand one of the planets, you know, assigned to me is telling me, hey, man, this is what you're dealing with. So I know what to petition for in my prayer. See, to me, that's how I use these tools, you know, not as something greater than my creator, but something that my creator provided just to kind of help me along, you know. And I don't know about you, man, but I need a lot of help. <laughs> so right on, you know, right on. Yeah. But that requires, yeah, I, I, you know, the more it requires also an understanding of how to use the tool, you know, and not to think that the tool does the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think we all could, you know, use some help every once in a while for sure. You think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. Maybe so. Hey, I think right so. On, right on. So, so you know, last week, uh, as I mentioned, I had a chance to uh, share my experience of attending the Million Man March uh, and had a chance right. to read excerpts from my journal and things like that. So this week we wanted to kind of follow up a little bit more. Normally I follow us on, on Mondays, but we decided to do it today. And uh, one of the one of the uh, things we wanted to do today was invite a special guest to our show. Now I guess yeah. Been Will, on the Will can I cut you off? Can I cut you off right quick? Just um, last Thursday, you started out the show with an amazing quote. You know, um, I don't know if you remember, and I don't know if you have your journal handy, but you started out last week. I'm hoping you do. You started last week's show out with a tremendous quote, and I thought you were going to say it was from like um, um, Laozi or, or or Buddha or, or Jesus, you know, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr., you know, or, or Joe Schmo, you know, for that matter. But it was something you wrote. Could you read that again, man? Uh, I I'm I I don't have the journal with me tonight. I'm at a okay. remote location. I'm not in my normal Got spot. You. All right, all right, okay, and, um, all right. Yeah, I'll hold yeah, you to I, it I, next. I, week. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, that was cool. cold. It was, yeah, it was down. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Dag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish I had yeah, brought it with yeah. me. Dag. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm sorry about that audience. Um, you can always tune in to last week's show on, uh, on our <laughs> right. program. Yeah. yeah. Make everybody else do the work. <laughs> oh, man. Right. Yeah. True philosopher. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I definitely will make sure I keep that with me. And maybe, you know, of course, when we write the book, when I write my book, uh, I'll have it in my Amen. book as well. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Better. Okay, so, sorry, man. Um, I cut you off. Yeah. No, it, it's cool. So, no, I was just uh, going to introduce one of our guests for tonight. Uh, he's been on the Greenhouse Effect radio show um, many times before. He's even been on our Wednesday show, uh, Dysfunctional by Design. Uh, so we invited uh, our guest to come back in tonight, Dr. Jeffrey uh, Oakbar, um, professor, excuse me, uh, professor at the University of Connecticut Department of History. Uh, he's written many books, uh, Harlem Renaissance, The Hip-Hop Revolution, Civil Rights Movement, Problems in American Civilization. And we wanted him to come into tonight's show uh, to kind of give his uh, perspective uh, on attending the Million Man March, uh, what kind of motivated him to go. And even and even if we have time, uh, I think a little bit, you know, Dad, you and I talked a lot, a little bit about the politics and uh, what led up to the movement. Uh, with Reagan in office for two terms, and then Daddy Bush coming in, and then you know after that Clinton came in, and then we had the Million Man March, um, and maybe even from his perspective, um, from a political aspect, and what uh, what motivated him to attend, uh, and also what kind of motivated the movement to even you know uh, get started in the first place. So, uh, without further ado, again. Uh, I'd like to uh, bring in our special guest for tonight, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Oakbar. Welcome tonight, sir. How are you tonight? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. 
gentlemen, gentlemen. It's so good to be here. I'm sitting here doctor, enjoying the doctor, uh, doctor. Doctor, I'm enjoying doctor. your conversation this week. I'm enjoying your wisdom. I'm enjoying your insights. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, always excited to be amongst family and to hear all your insights. Uh, it's great to be Amen. here. Amen. Amen, oh, yeah, man. By the way, and by the way, he's he's my cousin also, but I wasn't going to put that out there. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you win, yeah, man. So, I knew you win. You couldn't go uh, facial hair, brother, you know? Before you knew how to oh, ride a bike. <laughs> Your profile picture on the University of Connecticut page, man. That's a, that's a, uh, you need, need to change that picture up. Oh, because I don't have hair anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You know, since you're talking about how long how long you known Will, I knew you when you were JJ. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. No oh, man, but no, again, no, thank no. you for coming in tonight and uh, taking some time to, um, you know, be a part of the show here, um, and, and you know, share some of your experiences from what went down 25 years ago, um, and even from a professor political point of view as well, um, and even you know, uh, I mean, if we can, if we have time, even what. Uh, and looking ahead, you know, like the show is titled, you know, What Now, Now What? Uh, and looking ahead and even taking some momentum and carrying that towards um, future progression, if you will, if we have time. I know that it's kind of a lot on the books tonight, but I just appreciate you coming in tonight about your experiences and your experience at the Million Man March. So, again, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Glad to be invited. So... Yeah, I'm uh I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, you know, it's just uh follow your lead here. Well, um, you know, just uh I had the, the chance last week just to uh read my journal, talk about what led up to it, you know, like two days before the movement and before the Million Man March, I'm still in Atlanta. Me and my guys we're trying to figure out how the heck we're gonna get there. Now we kinda knew why we wanted to go. You know, the crime bills coming out, they had the three strikes law. You know, we knew that this was something uh, where we had to attend to be a part of this this this, this event, you know. Um, mm. You know, and that was kind of some of our motivation. Um, and so, you know, I talked about just the journey and getting there, very similar to uh, get on the bus. You know, we, we, we got on this, um, we, we, we hooked up with some guys uh, from a church, and they allowed us to ride with them. Um, and just like get on the bus, it was, you know, we're sitting there with a bunch of strangers, and we had to get to know each other. You had age differences and background differences and things like that. But by the time we got there, you know, just like the whole Million Man March, you know, we were all together in solidarity, and we're a part of this bigger picture. In, in on the nation's capital. Um, so I just wanted to, to kind of open it up just to, you know, if you could just talk a little bit about why you wanted to go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what was your motivation going? Why did you want to be a part of it? Um, mm-hmm. And we can just kind of go from there. Yeah, you know, um, these are great questions, and I'm really glad you're you're revisiting this. I think that there needs to be more think historic consideration of um, more consideration of how historic this event was. And so just to provide context for some people who might, you know, every, 
everyone's heard of the Million Man March, but not quite understand its gravity. I try to explain that that not only was it a remarkable sight to see upwards of a million black men in one place in this sort of incredibly organized, uh, placid, yet strong-willed, you know, um, you know, profound gathering of, of folks to talk about empowerment, leadership, uh, service to our communities. But it was the largest gathering of black people ever in the United States of America. And for that matter, probably in the Western Hemisphere. There's, there's probably never in the history of any country in the Western Hemisphere we've had as many black people. I mean, anywhere outside of Africa we've had as many black people gather at one single place. And so wow. it, it is actually probably in the top, perhaps, you know, of the thousands of gatherings of Americans, it's probably in the top 20, if not top 10, of the largest gatherings of Americans ever, right? So you talk about inaugurations wow. that have never wow. had as many people on. And so there, there, this, there has been some, there was some dispute over the exact size of the Man Man March. Of course, the organizers, and chiefly the Nation of Islam, they uh, argued that they had you know, well over a million, even possibly two million. The United States Park Service said that they gave a very, very small number, somewhere uh, over 400,000. But even, right. even if, the, if the most conservative number from the U.S. Park Service uh, it was still 150,000 more people than the march in Washington, right? So, so, so the most conservative 150 more people than the march in Washington. Keep in mind, the march in Washington had white men and white women, black men and black women, and I'm sure a smattering of non-black or white people there, right? So we're talking about a single gender, single race, representing 99% of the people who are there. So this is a really remarkable thing. And then the last thing I'll say about the size is that the uh, ABC and University of Boston's own analysis of the crowd size, and they estimated that it was 800,000 with a uh, plus or minus of tw- uh, 20% plus or minus. I think they said it was 800,000, which it could be, you know, the 20%, which push it over a million or as low as I think 600 some odd thousand, but we're talking about even with uh, ABC News and Boston University and their demographic analysis, they actually had double the Park Service, right? So, any way you look at it, right. even if you look at the, the, it could be upwards of 1.2 million as low as 400,000. In any way you look at it, it's the largest gathering of Black people in the history of the of the Western Hemisphere, and that itself is remarkable. So, so then the thing is when when we say that we don't hear about it as much as we hear about the march on washington everyone hears about the march on washington like little children know about the march on washington although this dwarfed the march on washington significantly and a lot of this goes to what we often talk about in my profession historians about you know we know that people who control history and the narrative of history have a disproportionate control on how we think about the world in our contemporary contemporaneous sense so when we think about our contemporary world so much of it is shaped by so many different forces, media, institutionalized forms of education, but also education is not in our high schools or in our um, you know, middle schools, but also just when we watch documentaries, when we watch TV, newscasters who, who acknowledge certain uh, anniversaries. And they'll be like, oh, you know, like many people paid any attention, any attention to the news this year, you know that this is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, passed 1919, 1920, when we got the right to vote. And there are celebrations across the United States recognizing that. Uh, in 1992, the 500th year of Columbus arriving in the Western Hemisphere, there are all sorts of celebrations about that. In 1776, 
I remember 1976 when I was a child. I remember all this 200th bicentennial stuff. And so you don't have to be in school to know that there was this historical moment that we were recognizing. And when it comes to Man Man March, that's why I think your show is important because we need to institutionalize this, this historical moment. We need to talk about it because we can't, we can't rely on the Chicago public schools or Hartford public schools or Wichita, Kansas public schools to deal with this kind of stuff uh, until oftentimes you have a groundswell of people, sometimes from the grassroots, uh, and then you have people like me and, and historians who can institutionalize in various ways through our scholarship and the textbooks we create and other, other things. And I think that these shows are very, very important to that. And so finally, we, we, we have a sense of what the gravity of this event was. I'll, I'll stop there because I know I was talking a whole lot, so I'm, I'll, I'll let you guys ask any kind of questions. I guess you asked no. a question about uh, what, I, I, what motivated you No, you're, you you're, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Okay. I, I appreciated the historical context of the importance of the Million Man March, and I didn't really, <clears throat> I never really compared the numbers of the March on Washington with the Million Man March. And I know that there was always these numbers between four hundred thousand, eight hundred and thirty some thousand, or maybe two million. You know, but if you were there, you know that it was more than four hundred thousand. You know, and it was maybe more than eight hundred thousand. It was hard to see because of so many people. But I appreciate that perspective as far as the historical point. But personally, um, you know, recognizing that this was an important event that was going on, what drove you to be a part of it? So as um, many people of our generation and the um, people born in the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of us, you know, we we came of age after the Black Power Movement, yet we are young enough to sort of have a sense of what it was about, even if it was often very superficial iconography that we recognize, like Afros and Bashikis. You know, we might not have known much about the ideological contours of the Black Power Movement, but we knew there was something there. You might identify the Black Panther Party as an organization that was, you know, big. And But when we were in college and in our late teens, in the and in, in just our teen years, in the late 1980s, early 90s, there was this groundswell of attention given to that historical moment in hip-hop, and that was the music we listened to. And the popular group in the world for a minute in hip-hop was Public Enemy. And, you know, they came out with It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back in 1988, and they were very clear. Uh, Yo, Griff, get the green, black, and red in. And they made reference to green, black, and red. My man no, said, no, don't come down the garden. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. And then Chuck D, Chuck D famously said, "This party started right in '66 with a pro-black radical mix. Then at the hour of 12, some right. power cut off the force and emerged from hell." And they, so, so they, they're right there. This party started right in '66 with a pro-black radical mix. I was like, okay, you know, Black Panther Party started in 1966. Uh, he said, "Jake the Hoover, that stinking sucker. He had both King and X set up the party with Newton, Cleaver, and Seal. He ended. So get up." Time to get them back. You got it. <laughs> get back right, on the track. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm hearing this music. And I'm like, wow. So it resonated with us, right? You know, so yeah, you know, we're right. hearing this music. You know, we're we're experiencing a world in the late 1980s, early 90s that is incredibly violent. You know, I grew up in South Central LA. You grew up in the South Side of Chicago. These are some of the largest black communities in the world at the time, and you have incredible levels of violence people we know we went to high school with in our neighborhoods who got shot and went to jail. We saw, um, uh, you know, the crack scourge. We saw addicts. I mean, we saw so many different things going on, and simultaneously our community responded, right? And our response was, in many ways, this sort of gravitation to black nationalism, right? We were like, well, people are trying integration. They're trying to integrate and 
you know, get jerry curls and color contacts. And everybody wants to look like, you know, um, the I'll be sure ninja with the hair all wavy. <laughs> and like, girl, make sure I'm going crazy. <laughs> Yo, that's, that's you, you always got to throw that. You always got to throw that in there, don't you? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, we had, you know, at the time, in the 1980s, you have this moment, which is like a veering away uh, of, of from so much of what the Black Power Movement was about. And I tell my students this, that if you name um, black artists, in fact, not just black artists, but artists in general in the 1980s. And I asked my students, I said, you know, give me some names of, of, of popular singers in the 1980s. And like Teddy Pendergrass, Anita Baker, Boys and Men, New Edition, Ready for the World, The Barge, Jane Jackson. They name everybody. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what's up. That's cool. I said, uh, so what were the cities like where black people lived in the 1980s? What kind of conditions were they in? And people talk about the so-called war on drugs, Reaganism, crime, violence, poverty, unemployment, all these different things, right? And I said, who, what, what artists talked about those things at that time? There was nobody, right? When hip-hop came out in the late 1980s, hip-hop was the first popular form of music. You know, the, the police, the, rat, the, the, the group, not the, the police in the neighborhoods, <laughs> the, the police and XX, uh, flock of singles, uh, Black and Seagulls, um, you know, Culture Club, Duran Duran, they weren't talking about these things, right? You know, um, Boys and Men wasn't talking about, I love New Edition, but they weren't talking about the police. They weren't talking about crack. They weren't talking about the scourges that we experienced in our communities. Hip-hop did, right? And so in so many ways, so many of us were politicized by hip-hop, and then it increasingly got, because hip-hop is so competitive, by the early 1990s, hip-hop got more radical, right? So when you had Public Enemy in 88, you start having Ice Cube straight killing it. I mean, Cube was coming out. He broke from NWA. He had some of the most radical stuff you ever heard. He had an album with Uncle, it was called Death Certificate, with Uncle Sam with a toe tag, right, with American flag over his, car, his corpse, right? You had him with a line where he says, he's looking for Sam. He said, I can't wait to put a gat in his mouth, pump 17 rounds, make his brains hang out. <laughs> and so Cube was like going, <laughs> going hard. And he was couched in the, in the Nation of Islam. He had Khalid Muhammad, who's a national spokesman mm-hmm. for the Nation of Islam, speaking on his songs. So Cube was the first rap artist to go platinum with his first five releases. And Cube associated with the Nation of Islam for almost all those songs, right? Almost all those albums. From a Death Certificate, he had Khalid Muhammad. Um, uh, the Predator, he had Khalid Muhammad. He was going hard, quoting Farrakhan on, um, on these albums. And he had Lethal Injections going hard, right? So you had this guy, and people were hearing these songs by the millions. And even if people weren't going to, going to the Nation of Islam and the mosque, people were familiar with the nation. They were familiar with Farrakhan, familiar with the, the message. Brand Nubian and a whole bunch of other rap groups were talking about the nation and, and Islam and five percenters. And so I think the, 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 the landscape was very ripe where people felt this, like for me, and I think that was part of a larger group of young people who felt that there has to be something done. We didn't know exactly what to be done. Often we didn't have, I mean, there were many people who got down with organizations. I joined organizations, but there were folks that thought that we were in a crisis and nobody was as defiant. Nobody was as substantive, as national, as organized as the nation of Islam. So when Farrakhan came out and the vast majority of white people by every single poll I've ever seen hated Farrakhan, but it didn't matter because we weren't, you know, we weren't white people, and <laughs> so that was their that was their concern. But the Nation of Islam, as we all know, they went to communities. They found people who were crackheads, who were drug addicts, people who were uh, gangsters and prostitutes and pimps and um, all sorts of folks. Cleaned them up, 
refine them. They stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped using drugs, stopped gambling. They were upright. They were strong. They were industrious. They were selling Final Call newspapers, bean pies. They worked in different shops. We saw these transformations, right? And there was something that was very, very, um, I think, gratifying and uh, engendered so much pride to see upright, strong black men with bow ties, clean cut, and exhibiting this degree of discipline in our community with the Nation of Islam. I didn't know any organization would reform people the way the nation did. And, and historically, I've never known an organization to be that effective uh, reforming people. So they made this call, and that call resonated with so many people. So when he said we can build a, we can bring a million men to Washington, D.C. Uh, with order, with discipline, uh, and to atone for all the sorts of things that we've done, that's another thing that gets lost is that the theme was atonement. And this idea that, um, which I found like really powerful, is that conservatives have co-opted this notion of self-reliance and hard work and um, uh, we call it uh, like, you know, personal responsibility and this, this and, and industriousness and family and God, like all these things resonate with the African-American community forever. Like, you know, if, if you have any group of people that on the federal, state, local level through private and public enterprises have been marginalized, systematically oppressed, socioeconomically, politically, and religiously, yet under those conditions, the worst conditions in the United States, they created universities and hospitals and, and banks and insurance companies and churches and businesses of different sorts and newspapers, then you know we appreciate industriousness. You know that we appreciate um, and this idea of, uh, of, of family, of hard work. These are things that resonate with us. Conservatives, on the other hand, have co-opted these ideas and claimed them as their own, particularly the Republican Party. And we need cowardly Democrats to sort of capitulate it, right, just, just not say anything, just let them kind of steal things that are really universal. But the nation had those ideas. But unlike conservatives, the nation also is very open about systemic forms of, of racial oppression, right, you know, conservatives are, are not willing to admit there's such a thing as systemic forms of white supremacy. They hem and haw and bow and scrape and shuck and jive and try to make all sorts of excuses rather than say that we, in fact, have measurable oppression from, on racial and uh, gender lines across uh, society in different industries. And they don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. They're hostile to affirmative action, hostile to programs that are uh, designed to ameliorate those uh, conditions. But the Nation of Islam, in many ways, I think, created a politics that resonated with black people. And so when they called this march, I think that's why you have more black people respond than any single call in the history of the United States of America. And you have different people. I think there are some of these black folks who were putting their finger in the air, waiting, looking to see how the wind was going to blow before they committed to it. Uh, they were right. like, well, I don't know, Farrakhan, he, he'd be out here talking about hate. Oh, I mean, it, they were itching and scratching and stuttering and stuff and not, not sure if they're going to go. But then they saw. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to go. Uh, uh. Right. <laughs> so you had, had some little weak-kneed, cowardly Negroes who were scared and itching and scratching and stuttering and stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, even these dudes came out. These old pork chop Negroes came out. And so you could you get a lot of black folks that came out. And for me, I love it. I love I love Farrakhan. I love to see somebody who was not bowing and scraping and scared and itching and scratching and stuff. Uh, I love his defiance, you know. And and even if I didn't agree with the platform completely, there was so much that I, I did agree with. And and I've voted. I've probably voted in every. I think I voted every presidential election since I was. I guess I missed the one at eighteen. So I guess from twenty two up. And 
you know, I've never agreed completely with the politics of anyone I voted for, you know. Um, and so I would say with the same thing with Farrakhan, uh, but I, I have to say that I, I, his message and his, his defiance and also the sort of um, the discipline and the order that I saw with the nation and the service to the black community, like providing security and public housing projects across the country, reducing crime without guns and without arresting people, you know, I appreciate that. You know, take, getting people off of drugs, you know, pushing drug dealers out, giving people jobs, lifting people out of poverty. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that, as you said, the, the crime bill, you know, you, you mentioned this crime bill, but, you know, in context, we know that the black community was, was met with uh, unprecedented levels of violence in the early 1990s, right? The, the homicide rate had reached uh, record highs in the early 1990s. And, you know, you're looking at, I mean, like now we talk about Chicago, but, I mean, the murder rate now in Chicago, I think it's 2016. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the, as I recall off the top of my head, the murder rate now is probably – probably 40%, if not 50% lower than it was in the early 1990s. It's like give you an idea of how violent the early 1990s were. I can tell you that yeah. in Chicago, I, I can tell you in Los Angeles, I can't, so I can't tell you, I just actually gave this lecture today in class, I can tell you for sure that in New York City, the homicide rate is about over 85% lower in New York City now than it was in the early 1990s, than in the year 1990. In L.A., it's about 82% lower now than it was in 1990. So we're talking about extraordinary plummets in crime, right, in, uh, in New York and L.A., over 80%, which is remarkable. No one thought, like in 1990, when they were talking about crack babies and super predators going to come out in the future, and you have little five-year-old kids with, you know, AK-47 killing everybody, like that didn't happen, right? And I think that when you look at what happened when black people went back, I'm not saying it was because of Million Man March necessarily. I, I, I argue, in fact, that crime, the crime rates have plummeted because of a series of forces, not one singular event or force. But I have no mistake that having a million black men go back to their communities with a sense of purpose, of service, of doing something in their community, being involved in an organization, they, they say, go back, be involved, yeah. be a leader, yeah. serve your people, and right. join mentoring programs. And I don't think that had zero effect. You know, I don't know what the scale of the effect was. But I have no idea that there are probably thousands of people who are alive now who would not have been had there not been this intervention in the Million Man March. Can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. So was it uh, just the things that the nation of Islam were doing before the march that inspired you to go? I mean, you – you know, you, you felt comfortable with going. You just knew that this was going to be a historic moment. Um, you know, you just wanted to be there. And I, I look at it and I'm, I'm asking, you know, and I wanted to bring you in, uh, you know, and I've shared some of my pictures. And I remember that one picture where that, that one statue, where there, was, there was a lot of people uh, that climbed on top of you and they were like pictures and posters and stuff like that. And I took a picture in front of that statue, and you actually took a picture in front of that statue too that same day. Yeah. And we never saw yeah. each other, you know. So it's it just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think someone had a public you know, enemy flag. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Public enemy. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That that yeah. statue. Um, yeah. You know, and so so was it was it just the fact that because it wasn't just the nation of Islam as well, you know, because you had Chavez. Uh, who was now Chavis. Um, huh? Yeah, Ben Chavis. Yep. 
Yeah, you know, because he was a yeah. part of the what the National African American Leadership Summit, you know, and then Farrakhan coming in, and you know, some people were like, oh, well, you know, Farrakhan, what he's going to do? Is he going to snap off, or is he going to be cool, or is he going to take over? You know what I'm saying? So it was just like all these different things that were happening. We really didn't know what was going to happen, but me and my guys knew that we just wanted to be there. So was it kind of that same kind of feeling? You know, uh, putting all yeah. the numbers aside, just just the emotional part that drove you was—is that kind of what it was? Yeah. Yeah. If if Jesse Jackson called for this march, I would not have been there. You know, if uh, <laughs> if Al Sharpton called for it. <laughs> uh, no, it's real talk, man. Like if, if Al Sharpton, no, called, really, yeah, it's, it's still funny. <laughs> yeah, nah, I, would have, I, would have, I would have been in Bloomington, Indiana, chilling and watching TV. You know, reading a book. Right. Them, you know, uh, if Al Sharpton said, you know, I was in grad school, I was in Bloomington, and we got a group of people. I'll, I'll share out my story too. But you know, if Al Sharpton got up, you know, and had a fresh new perm, you know, flopping in the wind, and uh, and got there and was like, we're gonna have a man man march. I would not have gone uh, at all. You know, if it was, um, you know, if Vernon Jordan got up and said that, I would have gone. I, I don't think there's anyone who would have, to be honest with me at least. And I, I think this resonates. I don't think I don't think Al Sharpton, Jesse, um, I don't think any any leader could have called the Man Man March and gotten a million people out. I mean, if Al Sharpton came out and was like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna have a Man Man March," you know, he probably got you know a few thousand, you know, maybe twenty thousand people maybe on a good day come out. But, you know, it was remarkable, if I recall correctly, it was a Monday, which was even more powerful, that it was, an, it was a work day. You know what I'm saying? People had to be off of work. So you had people coming in from coast to coast on a Monday, man. Look at the calendar see if I'm right or wrong. I don't know. I can look at that myself. Was that a Monday when that happened? Uh, I can look it up real quick. I can tell you just a second. I don't even remember. All right. Well, why y'all doing that? So we ain't got a whole lot of dead air time. Let me ask you all something, if that's what you want to do. Um, this, we're talking about 90, 90, 95, 85. What are we talking about? 25 years ago. What was that? 95, mm-hmm. right? Who, who do y'all, um, and let's see, Jeff, Doc, you were 25 then, were you? Uh, 24, 25. Yeah. yeah, it was a Monday. And Will, yeah, it, was a, and, and, it was a Monday. Okay, Jeff, you were, you were like 25 then, and Will, you were like around 24, you guys remember who the black leaders were? I mean, you said Farrakhan. You mentioned Jesse. You mis- mentioned Al Sharpton. You know, yeah, Jesse and Al. You know, do y'all remember any of the black leaders in the 90s? Um, yeah. That's my man. Uh, Price, I think. Hugh Price was of the National Urban League at the time. Uh, Vernon, was, Vernon Jordan has shifted out, but he was still around. Um, you had Dorothy Height, of course. It was, uh, yeah. you know, with women. You have, I mean, in terms of, of non-elected officials, those are some of the, the most that I can remember. I mean, and Khaled Muhammad was, at this point, I think he may have broken from the nation at that point, and he was still around okay. and alive. But Khaled was like, he was so fiery at Farrakhan. was like, yo, you got to chill, man. You really hurt these white folks, man. What you saying? And they they really getting sad by these words you keep talk saying. You know, say, so you know, Farrakhan like, used to chill out. So he he was already, I think, um, pushed to the side. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I, I remember. But you know, I, I think that think of anyone. I know Hugh Price 
couldn't have from the Urban League got up and said, we can do something like this. And um, I just think that that moment was a very powerful moment. And it spoke to, I think, I argue that uh, scholars and, you know, these people who are the gatekeepers of history have often tried to marginalize black nationalist politics. And and there were moments in history where the dominant expression among African-American organization activism has been on the black nationalist end of the pendulum. And, historically historians have tried to marginalize and make it seem like it's, oh, this is just like a few, oh, you know, Marcus Garvey and the Back to Africa movement, that was just some, some fools up in Harlem were trying to do. And the fact of the matter is in the 1920s, the UNIA was the largest mass movement of black people in the history of the world. You know, nothing had been as large. And they had, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, right, right, right. Members, uh, the NAACP yeah. had, what, as a mixed organization, maybe 20,000 members right. at the time. So, I mean, it's like, Thousands of times bigger than the nation, okay. but, but the NAACP. And, so anyway, and I, I think that and you've identified that Farrakhan was really your great motivator. Well, not your great motivator, but a strong motivator in 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 inspiring you to attend. Will, did you have a um, a particular black leader at that time, or was this something that was more or less manifested by you know the um, the crew you hung with? I mean, it was. Um, it, and, and and speaking of which, I want to um, Jeff. If you got time, I want to keep you on the line here, and I do want to bring in one of my guys that was with that was with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that time, I mean, you know, we knew about Farrakhan. I knew uh, Ben Chavez was going through his issues with the NAACP, and he, you know, he left out of there. And that was really the main, as far as media, you know, I mean, and the normal people that we knew about. But, you know, in 95, right. I had just okay. moved to Atlanta, you know. Right. And so then uh, I remember, I just remember there was, you know, and I was going to Clark Atlanta at the time. So I really wasn't that into politics that much. It was more or less like, you know, intellectual debates. You know, Jay, if you remember uh, Malachi York and the, and that was, you know, oh, yeah. there was a lot of discussions with that dude and, and that and that stuff about aliens and and you know uh, you know so <laughs> and all so it was more and, like a it was but, more like a consciousness thing for you i, I just want to I, I have you know before you all carry on i only have a couple more questions and then i'll, I'll get out of the way but why i got you both here you know for me it's very helpful because again you know i know this was 25 years ago for you guys but to me it's a very pivotal thing for folks to understand we're talking about two young brothers, you know, um, during a very shifting, turbulent time. And your perspectives of the time, as well as you can recollect, for me, is very, you know, very pertinent, very important. Like, one, uh, you know, a couple things. One, did you both know you were going to be there? Did you two know you were going to be attending at the same time? No. Uh, that you were going to be no, attending? Exactly. No. No, no, we didn't. No. We okay. Didn't. No. Yeah. Did y'all yeah, ever, did you, once you realized you both had gone, did you talk any about your experiences with each other? Or did you ever know that you both went? I saw that Will I mean, went. I saw his on Facebook, man. I, I don't know if we talked about it, man. Do you remember no. talking about it? No, no, not until not until way later, you know, uh, maybe right, in passing, right. you know. Okay. Uh, like, yeah, I was there, and you were like, yeah, I was there too. And then when we saw the, mm-hmm. the pictures and you was like, yeah, I was there at that statue. It was like, oh, wow, man. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> we was like right there at almost the same time, but we never saw each other. But, but no, I mean, you know, and one, one last, one last thing, and then I'm, one last thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it alone. Um, what did, for as best as you two can remember, what did you leave with after it was done? You know, after that experience had had its impact on you. What do you feel affect? What, what did you leave with? What left an indelible mark on on your consciousness when it was over, or or was there anything? For me, uh, it was just to make a uh, a better effort to be a part of the community. Um, okay. And and what what stuck with me was to make a more conscious effort to be a part of the community uh, and to uh, in. At the time, I didn't have a family, but just understanding what it means to strengthen family values, um, okay. and yeah. just and just and just kind of uh, kind of get an idea of what it means to be a role model, if you will, for uh, how right I can on. connect with you know with younger you know younger uh, people. Okay, right on, man. Yeah, Jeff. yeah, I'll. Yeah, I would have to echo uh, what Will is saying here. I think that uh, he's right on the money, that there was a sense that we go back, that we become better men, and that meant, that included, uh, you know, being you know, more active in our families and our communities uh, in a good way, right? Like like being there, being present, being responsible, uh, serving, protecting, uh, loving, uh, building, uh, all these sorts of things. And there are people who might argue this is patriarchal, you know, all that kind of stuff, but you know, the idea of protecting, I'm not, I don't shirk from this idea of being a protector. It doesn't mean that women are weak or children are weak or other men are weak because um, that I think that we can, that, you know, protecting your community and serving your community is not exclusive to gender. And I think that this is yeah. something that the nation, you know, supported and uh, encouraged us to, to go back and do. And, you know, man, I, I think that, um, that there were, there are a lot of, you know, there are shortcomings with the Nate, with the, uh, the name and March as well. It's not, you know, it wasn't perfect, and, and a few things are, so, or nothing is. <laughs> and I think that the, that the movement, however, if one were to add or weigh you know, the good and bad, there's no way you get around the fact that I think there was just a much, it was good. I mean, the net was positive, right? I mean, to have, mm-hmm. and, and, and the other thing is just that we, are, we have to take this in historical context and that look at the image that, images that we've historically had about black men, black manhood, and and so much of the propaganda about uh, black people being lazy, being shiftless, being irresponsible, uh, and I think that in so many ways, this idea that so many of us would come out for something like this was a refutation of so much of that. It was just was a a clear rejection of some of the most hostile uh, images that black people have had to deal with um, for centuries yeah. here. And, and you know, I, I think it, it needs to be said that that people, it wasn't like just walking down the street to go to a picnic. I mean, people came in from all across the country, I suspect every state, and black men on a Monday, you know, in October. It wasn't like it was a, it was a summertime when people weren't in school. I mean, you know, you have a million people, uh, most, a lot of people I know, I mean, we were in graduate school, I was in graduate school at Indiana University, and in Bloomington, we got a group of black men on campus, undergrads, grads, uh, we all got together and said we're gonna have a caravan of cats that are gonna dr- drive out. You know who's who's down. I think we may have had about three or four cars. We drove out. I remember we drove, had a little maps and made it out. And people had friends. Everyone had friends in D.C. Everyone I knew had somebody I knew in D.C. 
we drove out. I remember we stopped in some town in Ohio, like at a Denny's, to eat, and we saw all these black men in this Denny's. <laughs> and we were like, yo, I mean, this, this town is, like, super black, huh? They're like, no, nah, man, we actually aren't from here. We're just on our way to D.C. We're like, what? We are, too. So we all got together and took a big picture in the parking lot. And I still have that picture somewhere. And it was just beautiful to see so many groups of people yeah. on their way to D.C. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were there. And I, remember, I was actually selling T-shirts, by the way. I've always been a little, a little enterprising oh, wow. dude out here, man, trying to get my hustle on. So I made these T-shirts that had said um, uh, one million strong disciplined black man, something like this. It said no, no coons. I said, so no coons. <laughs> we, all you hear is like, there's no, no bug dancing, head scratching, uh, shiftless coons. Okay. Just million strong. Right. This one, black, October 16, 1995, Washington D.C. Okay. Yeah, like let, me ask, let, me ask, let me ask you one other thing. Um, do you feel that the march on Washington had any influence at all on the Million Man March? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, if, I think that's why they decided to do it there. I, I to me, I thought that's why they decided to to do it. You know, um, and I, I I just I'm just my my personal opinion. But you know, to to yeah, well, um, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, um, and to and to just kind of touch on what what Doc had just said. I think that at that time, I think black men were really being picked, painted as um, as savages. You know, we've heard, you know, people talk about Biden, Biden called black people savages and stuff like that. And I think the image that America was starting to portray black men, um, I didn't like it. Um, um, I'm not sure if everybody else kind of saw it that way, but I I think at that time they were kind of, you know, making us to look, um, and crime was tough. You know, I mean, it was a lot of, it was bad stuff everywhere you know numbers was high and everything was was really bad um, but it wasn't just black black men okay you know but we were being, we were we were being put in the media as as okay. these bangers as these savages you know causing crime to explode in america and things like that and i just saw it as this opportunity for america to see that we can they saying that we are and that was kind do of you think that you, you think that imagery was any different in the '60s about black men? Mm. That's an excellent question. Um, I, I I would say it was probably different. I mean, but I don't know. Really? I mean, just from just from our discussion. I mean, only because. I mean, from our discussion, I, I saw the '60s as more of. Uh, an opportunity of enlightenment and up uplifting. I mean, um, I didn't see it that way. I did, I don't know. I mean, because you had a whole different form of racism than than ninety five now. But do you think that's how white America uh, projected their image of black uh, of black America and black men in the sixties as being, you know, uh, uplifted and and consciousness awareness and identity focused and self-actualized actually is what you're saying. You think that's how white America experienced black men in the sixties? I'm, I'm sorry, just going to say, yeah, again, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just feel? say, yeah, probably so. So what do you think white America thought of the black Panther party? It was a threat, right? Yeah. What do you think they thought of Elijah Muhammad? 
Right. Um, before, you know, I just noticed that we've uh, got about 30 minutes left on this, um, and I, I just want to bring in another caller real quick, and we can continue this discussion. But I didn't want to leave my guy hanging anymore. Um, like I mentioned, uh, I wanted this opportunity for people to call in and to share their experience. And, Doc, I hope you still got time to stick around. Uh, I'm just going to open uh, – what did you say? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have a few minutes. I'm being called uh, I have to head out, but I have a few more minutes. Yes, sir. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I just wanted to bring in another caller here, uh, a gentleman that was with me from Atlanta over to D.C., uh, my brother Maurice had an opportunity to call in tonight, and I wanted to bring him in as well. So, Maurice, are you on the line? I am, brother. I'm here. Hey, hey, man. Thanks for your patience. I appreciate you hanging in there. Um, and you, you see where we're going with our discussion here, and you can jump right in and some of the questions my dad presented. Um, um, so I didn't know if you just wanted to jump in with that or if you just wanted to. I mean, the, the jump know, First off, first off, what I want to say is I love this forum. Pops, you got some great questions right there, and, and I want to probably help put my two cents in on it. So, number one, how they feel about Elijah Muhammad? He was a threat, a direct threat. How they feel about Huey P. Newton and the Black Panthers? How they feel about uh, the shotgun deacon? How they feel about uh, any type of black power movement that was ever put up? He was a threat politically socially, you know, economics, economically, it was a threat. And uh, it's still to this day, no matter what we put forward, you know, you, you asked Pops about, you know, what black leaders back, we didn't have black leaders back in 95. Uh, our black leader was Farrakhan, my generation. You know, uh, all the rest of them failed. You know, um, and they, they didn't do anything for us. And Farrakhan seemed like he was doing something. And he was behind. Yeah. He was also behind the music that that stimulated us, that actually spoke to us, the ones who were feeling this way and seeing this happen on a daily basis. Those people who were in cities and the suburbs and was black and had to answer questions about being black or had to answer questions to the police. We were basically, excuse my language, fuck the police. You know, <laughs> fight the power. That's what we were. And uh, you know, he, he put it best. I endorse everything he, his brother just said. <laughs> I approve. I approve that message too. <laughs> I approve that message. <laughs> All right, I'm back. But that's the yeah. money, man. And you know, but go ahead. But yeah, these, these are these are things that um, that need to be still discussed and still brought up amongst our people to make sure that we got what we need to, in order to achieve, you know, because, you know, I mean, we all know, everybody on this call right here knows, you know, what type of situation that we are in, you know, we, we can look out of our doors and we can look within our own families and see what we got to deal with. And, uh, you know, we just, we just got to bring, we just got to fight to be better. We definitely got to fight to be better. Um, Million Man March. It was magic. That that's all I could really say about it. Uh it it, it was a gathering of black men. The reason why I wanted to go, because this was the first gathering of black men that I have ever seen 
that was able to create magic. The, the crew that, that me and Will hung out with, we were a crew of individuals who came from different places, and we all had similar thoughts and experiences, and we were able to share it freely amongst ourselves, men and women, you know, young men and young women. We had a collective going, and we expanded that collective as far as we could possibly go. And then the Million Man March came, the announcement came, and we was like, we have to be there. And by hook or by crook, we got there. Like Will was saying about, uh, what is that, Get on the Bus, that movie? Get on I'm the thinking bus. about yeah. it when you mentioned it. That that movie was us. We might need yeah. to get royalties off of that movie because I, I think somebody <laughs> was on the bus with us and, and, and wrote that, you know, and made that movie. But, I mean, that was our experience. We didn't know what we was going to do, how we was going to do it. And I think, was it, was it, I forget what church it was, but it was like, uh, like Will said, it was, it, it was a set of random people, man, that, that just reached out to us and like, hey, get on the bus with us. And we got on there. Half of us didn't have any money to do anything or go anywhere or eat, and we all were collectively working with each other like men were supposed to, to, to make sure we all were successful and survived. And, and that was magic to me, and, and I loved that. Um, yeah, shout out to uh, Trinity Methodist Church. Yes, Trinity Methodist Church. Look out and find those people again. See how they are. But uh, so let me yeah. I, let I, me ask you. Let me ask you all something. I'm sorry to, to cut you off, Maurice, and I know that uh, no, cool. that Doc is, Doc doesn't have that much time left. So looking yeah. at where we are, and you just and you just said something. You know, looking at where we are now, and we're reflecting back um, from '63 to '95 to now. Do you think? Do any of you all think, or how can we? You know, look at that energy, look at that magic, look at that accomplishment, um, and can it be used in today's time? Can we can we take that, you know, what we remember and all these things and put this in the jar, put it in a bowl, mix some stuff together, and apply some things to use, you know, now and in the future? Yeah, we can. Um, it, it starts with anyone like myself who has access to young men and trying to trying to mold them into better men than they are. I, I'm a, I'll just to qualify. I'm a football coach, and I'm also a Mason. One of the reasons I, I became a Mason uh, was because of Million Man March. Because again, right on. one of the, the tenets that we live by is you know, behold how good and pleasant it is for black men to dwell, to dwell together in unity. And I always put Amen. the black man in there because that's what we need to do. And I try to, to, to emphasize that to my boys almost every day, you know, something to make them and mold them into something better than they were yesterday. That That's the thing that we always talk about on that field. Um, because it's more than just this sport, it's your whole life. And it's, you know, at the age that they are, they have to realize that they are a threat now. You know, you ain't boys no more. You are young men. And to a lot of people, you are a grown-ass man. So you have to know how to project yourself and, and carry yourself. So the things that we learned through the Million Man March, through our own experiences, we have to learn to, 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 to turn and distill that to the young men and the young women that we have access to and, and try to reach out. And if we can't reach out to the young men and young women because we don't have access to them, find those that do and try to get them to to instill the teachings that was learned. Amen. 
Yeah, mm. yeah. That's just me. I right on, Mo. <laughs> My man. <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. Uh, I have nothing really Doc, to add. You got anything? No, you know, I just think uh, in terms of legacy of the Million Man March, I would say that, um, like was already said, there were certain certain ideas and principles that were celebrated there, you know, service, leadership, um, responsibility, atonement. And and these yeah. are things that obviously anyone can carry throughout their lives anywhere. And it's, you know, we can promote that in our different spaces, whether we're, you know, in this case, a coach, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're an architect. The thing is that regardless of your, your, your position, your, your profession, that you can serve in your community in different capacities and uh, you can always volunteer, right? You can always uh, be a role model. You can always work with young people. And I have for many years in different organizations. I sit on the board for a couple of youth-oriented or- groups, the YMCA in the north end of Hartford, which is a poor working-class black community here, and the um, another organization that deals with young young people in that same community. But, you know, in, in our different spaces, we always can do something to bring some portion of misery to an end, which is one of my favorite quotes. And I think the wow. Man March really about that. Can, you love, can always bring some portion of misery to its end. Hey, man, man. <laughs> that's, 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 that's good. That's a good one. Really? Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, gentlemen, I think I'm going to have to get off the phone now, but uh, I, yeah. I thank you so much for the invitation, and, and thank you for – and we talk about service. I mean, this is what we need to do, and we talk about institutionalizing and controlling our own histories. This is what we. This is essential. This is what we need to do, and you're doing it. So, so thank you. Hey, man, well, before you, again, you go, man. before you yes, go, sir. is that your quote or is that a quote from somebody else? We can always bring some portion of misery to its end. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was at a. Uh, yeah, I wish I did come up with that quote. I'm not that that smooth and smart, but I was at a party, and I uh, <laughs> this was a Kwanzaa party years ago when I was in, I think, in grad school, and I was in Atlanta at someone's house and they had it framed on their wall and it said a uh, little quote framed on the wall said always hold firmly to the belief that each of us can bring some portion of misery to an end mm. and I wrote it down and put it in my wallet and I kept it for years so the paper just kind of wore out but I remembered it I finally remembered it and I when it finally disintegrated I, I had it registered to memory so it was <laughs> Who did, did you give? Did you give a resource recognition to whoever the, the 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 person was who said it? I'm asking because as of this moment, something's about to be posted on Facebook that's going to say Dr. Jeffrey O. G. Ogbar. I actually ran into, believe it or not, uh, I, I suffer from some degree of face blindness, I believe, so I, I don't remember people all the time until I see them a few times. And I saw this sister, I want to say maybe two or three years later. It wasn't just like right like a year later or a few months later, but I saw her later and told her what um, I saw from her. Because I didn't know her. I was I went to her party through a, a friend. And, you know, I saw this on the wall. And, and she was so elated that I remembered the quote and it meant something. And she was like, oh, I'm so happy that my house, you know, provided some sort of, you know, some, some legacy even in your personal life. But I don't know Amen. where she. I don't know if it was her quote or something she got somewhere else. But it's uh it for, for me because you know personally I, I should think like, hey, I want to do all these things, right? I want to you know, and then you get you, on an individual level, we can be sort of uh, intimidated by the daunting task of serving our people and dealing with all the issues that we're faced with, right? And 
in the individual, you can't do it, but in a collective way, we can. But even if we're Amen. not involved in a collective organization, in our own little spaces, we can often do something, and and that is is often gratifying. And I like the way that this was framed. You know, it just really spoke to me in a way that um, that resonated. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And thank yeah. all three Thanks of you again. for being patient with me as as this old man muddled through your energies. <laughs> oh man, loved it. I love it as always. Thank you. Thank you, Uncle. <laughs> All right, until next time, man. I appreciate okay, you uh, you, taking the moment. I know you got to take care of some things, man. Maurice, don't go nowhere. I know it's just Doc's got to go. Thanks again, man. Oh, yeah, Thank I'm you here. for for chiming in. Have a great show. All All right, right, I'll be here next from And uh, I think we got like uh, under 20 minutes left, and I know we have one caller that's been in the queue. Uh, Maurice, you said you got time, right? You're not going anywhere. You good? Oh, yeah. I, I got time. Awesome. I'm sitting in traffic right now. Hey oh, man, okay, it's perfect. great here. It's great hearing your voice, man. Wow. Yeah, man. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it took I, me to do a radio show to get this guy to call, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this, man. I'm loving this, man. Twenty five years later, I finally get a chance to talk to you and I'm just playing, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, hey, that was twenty five years later. I'm just playing. I'm uh, just playing. That's about as long as you've been out of Atlanta, man. I know, yeah, right? Man. That's all on me, man. <laughs> Hey, uh, but I, I gotta cool. get back up to the house. I gotta get back up home to, to Chicago at some point in time. Yeah. Hey man, you absolutely. let me know when you sliding up there. I'm gonna make it a point to make a trip up there as well, man. That would be. Uh, anyway, go ahead, go ahead on with the show, yeah. Will. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got one call in the queue here. They've been very patient with us. I wanted to bring them in before uh, we got to the to the red line, um, and so I just wanted to bring the caller in now and. Again, thank you for your patience, caller. Uh, and and uh, how are you doing tonight? Hey, is that me? That is hey, me. Hey, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Jay Pastor. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. What's happening? <laughs> All right. Hey man, that was that was that was my story, Uncle Bill. That ain't right story Amen. about the monkey, the monkey and the and the coconut. That's my story. Well, I heard both of y'all tell it, all right? Okay. <laughs> so okay. y'all battling out who's plagiarized and who. <laughs> nah, I, I was <laughs> but since you're the one okay. on the line, I apologize. You're right. It was your story, man. Everybody, <laughs> that was Jay Pastor's story. That wasn't Ray's story. Forget I said that, man. My mistake. <laughs> yeah, no, great story good, regardless, man. yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely appreciate y'all, brothers, man, sharing y'all experiences, Um you know, I'm, yeah. from, I'm from the South, man, and I wasn't privileged to, you know, grow up and see or, you know, hear or, you know. I mean, I I caught the end of public in me, but I was catching, you know, NWA and Scarface <laughs> and Tupac. You know what I'm saying? They were asking about black leaders. Then was my black leaders. You know what I'm saying? I didn't gotcha. know, right on. Not know, you know, no black leaders at the time. Right. You know, my daddy, you know, and I grew up in a trap. My daddy was my black leader. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely, man, commend y'all for, you know, the courage to, you know, be at a young age and definitely go and have that experience. Um, and thank y'all for this show. And just for the record, man, I don't know nothing about no um, debate. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm This my... This my t- right on, oh, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, man. There you go. There you go. Yeah, right yeah. on, man. Support 
are my people, man. Jesus said, who are my brothers and my sisters? Them people ain't my brothers and sisters. These my brothers right here, man. You know what I'm saying? So Amen. definitely Amen. just, you know, appreciative, man, for the for what y'all do on this show. And um happy to just kind of, you know, feed my soul and, and, and be in y'all presence, man, whatever y'all got going on, man. We'd love to pray and support y'all at all times. Oh, man. I Amen. appreciate you, man. We got you on here, man. Let me, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick and just ask, you know, like, you know, so what, because I know that you, you know, that you all have the prayer circle and, and things like that. So, and you know, one of the things I, I, I wanted to, to look at, you know, reflecting back from 63 to 95 to now, and again, I'm not sure if you heard me ask the question earlier, you know, but looking at, at us as, you know, we're kind of like these new leaders that, you know, you don't read about, you know, but we're the ones that touch the kids. We're the ones that, that touch our brothers and, and sisters and families and things like that, that try to bring positive attributes within this crazy society we're in now. Um, just putting you on the spot, man, just, you know, what are the, some of the, the things that you you feel is necessary in order to, you know, continue to, you know, make things a positive change for our people, for our families? Man, um, definitely, you know, um, I think that, that, you know, like what y'all did today, exposing us to history, you know, um, mm-hmm. definitely have kind of lost sight of, you know, what our forefathers had to endure and go through to even put us in this position, you know, to have the little liberties that we do have. Um, so um, definitely think that, you know, kind of getting the youth at an early age and kind of educating them on, you know, where we come from. And, you know, um, I think that would definitely be um, good because, you know, all they seeing and hearing right now is um, LeBron or, you know, um, the Amigos, you know, Birdman, Baby, you know what I'm saying? It's just things that they're exposed to are pumped into their system on a regular basis. You know, the things that they're seeing in their communities, you know what I'm saying, is definitely, you know, leaving us kind of dazed and amazed and kind of, you know, in a wilderness type of state. So I think, you know, um, you know, sharing our history, I think spirituality is definitely a good thing. And then I know, you know, just the the powerful thing that comes with love, you know, is is, is definitely something that can transform a person, you know, and I'm going to take time out and show you some love that you might not be getting at home. You know, I'm going to take time out to, you know, help you, you know, when you don't, you know, necessarily have your family members available to help you. When I take the time out to listen to you, you know, pay attention to you, you know, my old lady begin on to me all the time, like, hey, man, you know, we meeting people, and you staying on your phone. Get off your phone and pay attention, whether it be to your children or your friends we have to eat with, you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, it's a lot of different distractions and a lot of different attacks, you know, but I, mm-hmm. I, I sent you that quote, too, mm-hmm. Uncle Bill, with the person's name who, um, who quoted it about ending that ending that misery, you know, a little bit. Um, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think that we're definitely reaching out for for love, you know, attention. So, um, you know, anytime we're given the opportunity to pour that into someone, I think that definitely can, you know, just we ain't got to be TDJ so we change a hundred thousand people, but 
I can just get, you know, this my little corner, my little portion, my little circle, my little one, two, three, you know, nephews or people that's looking up to me, man. I think, you know, that definitely can kind of start the ball in the right direction. Right well, on. Albert, Albert Schweitzer. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, he's dead. No, I don't think it. he'll reach up from the grave and sue Doc. <laughs> <laughs> No, but thank you. All right, Albert, right on, man. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I appreciate that. All right, Maurice, you still there? So, you still let me, Yeah, let me let me just yeah, right I'm quick. Let here, me brother. just be sure I, I got the highlights. So we're talking about you know exposers or teachers or sharers of Black history, um, consistent and continuous messages of love and. Extended family values. That's what we need from the new black leaders of the 21st century. Did I get part of that right? Not the not the message of love, but more so the action of it, which can, is the I message. Can... But okay, got you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I agree with Okay. Actions better okay. than words. Amen. Yeah, I can all right. All the message. Be, be the messenger of love. <laughs> got it. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Messengers of love. So I I kind of got the crux of it then, Pastor. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Right on. Right. Will? Um, <laughs> we're we're uh, at the ten minute mark, Maurice. I was just wondering, did you have any anything else you wanted to share with us before we uh, close up? I so much love Allah's mathematics. If y'all remember that. Wow. One more time. I so much love Allah's mathematics. If you don't remember it, you got to go and look that up. It's a brand Nubian thing. They they, they had a song uh, called Everybody Loves the Sunshine. It spoke of uh, from zero to nine, like what those numbers represented in the 5% nation. But it, it, it goes deeper than that because it's a foundation you can build your society on. Uh, I use that, you know, all the time when I'm with my children, any other kids that, that I that I work with, uh, not necessarily teaching it to them directly. You got to be able to speak in their language. Our language was brand newbie in the public enemy. We can't speak mm-hmm. that way to these kids of today. Well, we got to be able to to apply the same things to them, but we got to use different words. That's that's what I've learned over my years, that we can say the same things. We just may have to reapply it with different words. Like Brother was saying about being messengers of love, uh, that's great. What these kids need is appliers of love. They need to see the examples of what love is, true love. You know how you know where where I can go to another black man and say I love you and actually mean that. Does mm-hmm. that actually mean, you know, um, to to show them the example? That's what they don't have. They don't have the example. Media is not going to give it to them. Society is not going to give it to them. All society sees them are thugs, you know, and, and thugs and whores. That's all they see them. So we have to reapply the love that we know that we can get, and. Unfortunately, it's going to be met with backlash, but it doesn't matter. We still have to go out and apply it and reapply it over and over again. Now, I yeah. might have I might have the, the wrong song in mind, but the one I was thinking about was Sunshine, 
Folks get yes. brown in the sunshine. Folks get down. Yes. Are we talking about the same song? All right. <laughs> yes, that's it. With the hip hop twist by Brand Nubians. Yeah, it was. They, they okay, used by that. Brand Nubians. Okay, yeah. Brand Nubians. Brand Nubians. Okay, got you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank y'all. I feel yeah. like. I feel like I've been upgraded. <laughs> that reminds me when I had to first explain to my dad about hip hop. It was the blues of our time. But you're right, though, Maurice. I mean, because that was our language at that time in the 90s. You know, it was our language. But now language is different when it comes to expressing love and things like that to the younger generation. Um, but it was at that time in the Million Man March, I think, where we had that feeling where we could look at one another and say, man, I love you you know, and not feel any less of a man or anything like that. It was a genuine, you know, you remember that moment when we all had to hold hands for a moment and it was like everybody was just in that moment of silence holding hands and you could feel that energy throughout throughout the place. You know, it was just that sincere love that was there. Whoa, that's what I'm talking about. Like I said, Uh behold, when black men dwell together in unity, it is a it is a precious precious thing. Like if you don't know where yeah. that that scripture comes from, Psalms one thirty three. Look that up. Live that word. Live those words. You live those words every day. It, it will it will change what you do. Yeah, how, stuff how do you like do that, 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 that? How do you gives... do with that with that first there, Jay Pastor? Hey, can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, that's the only that's the only time that God commanded a blessing. He commanded Amen. a blessing yep. when, when brothers dwell together in unity. The only wow. time to do okay. that, you know. So that's what so, I'm talking about. Yeah, and that's a powerful thing right there. You know. Amen. Man, I love that, y'all, that's man. Gives, <laughs> that, that's what yeah. gives a lot of white Americans nightmares, man. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and a few black Americans, <laughs> and a few as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, man, yeah, like I love you, said, pork chop Negroes. Amen. Man, hey, I love y'all, y'all man. Y'all. I really do. I, I, I love, I love this forum. I love talking with y'all. It's great to be able to speak with other men that have something to say and being meaningful. And and I can feel this love through the airways, and I hope anybody that's listening to this feels the same love and is able to bring more to it. You know, you, you touch one man, you bring back two for the same kind of love that you're getting. You know, and, and just because I say man, it, it, it's not formed to just men that need to be here. We need women. We need children. We need everybody. Thank you. I was just you know, about to say that. Thank like, you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and every Thursday night, this is this is where we do it at, man. Every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. This is just one opportunity we have to do that. So, um, man, thank you all again. Jay Pastor, thank you for taking the time to chime in. You know, Brother Bear, Maurice, man, thank you so much um, having a moment to, you know, I know you, you got a lot on your plate, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chime in with us tonight. Every time I can, my brother, I will be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Awesome, Dad. You got any uh, anything in, in in closing here? Oh man, I'm full. You know, because when I started <laughs> talking, then we run up, we, we run past. So let me just stay where I am. <laughs> <laughs> Why you stay where I am? You know. 
Hey, hashtag a thousand words to do, baby. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you all for uh, for being a part of the show tonight. Thank you to all the listeners, or those that responded in the chat room. Um, every Thursday night, 7 p.m., Blog Talk Radio, the Greenhouse Effect Radio Show. We're right here. Um, man, this is a this was a, a great show. Awesome. Thank you all again. Um, yes, sir. You know, in closing, I ask that we all still take care of each other. Be smart out here. Mask up if you got to. Do what you need to do to adapt to these changes. Uh, take care of yourself and take care of your family. You know, uh, stay positive, stay focused, be in the moment. Um, and as always, take care of each other. Uh, gentlemen, thank you again for chiming in. We're going to go ahead and close it out. And hopefully we'll see you all next week. Again, Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. This is the Greenhouse Effect Radio Show. You all stay blessed. Be safe. Mute everybody, Will. remember why I'm feeling this way. I guess I should be crying. My heart just won't obey. If you say it, you'll be happy. As I lie here on the rooftop in the rain, I'll